We're gonna pray for the, remember, pray for our kids. They're gone. Uh, they left early this morning, the teens, and uh, to go to youth camp, and they'll be gone for a week. So keep them in prayer, and uh, keep the adults in prayer. <laughs> they got a hard week. You know, like the kids survive, but man, the adults, I don't know. So, uh, and, and then just pray that you guys all get, those of you who uh, <clears throat> your uh, teens went, that you get brand new ones back. Just all shiny and clean and, and just brand new. All right, let's pray. Father, we do, uh, we do lift up our, our youth, God, and we glad, we're glad that, uh, Lord, we have an opportunity where they can just get away and, and uh, Lord, grow in you and fellowship with each other. And so I pray that as they're on this trip now and, and Lord, as they're traveling to California, that you would keep them safe. But Lord, it would be a fruitful time, a time of fellowship and encouragement and strengthening. And it, even on the trip, Lord, great things would happen in their hearts. And then we pray, we pray for camp this year that it would change lives. And we do want new teens back. We want them refreshed and renewed and, and uh, strengthened in their relationship with you. And, and Lord, we pray for the adults that you would be with them and, and give them that, that strength that they need and the, <clears throat> the ability to get through the week, Lord. And so bless each one. And I pray that, God, they come back with more than what they're even expecting. And as we look at your word, God, we, we pray that you would speak to our hearts Lord, that as we watch again, watch you interacting with a, a group of people that are, are hostile towards you, that are combative and coming against you, Lord, that, that we could learn how to handle those situations. But, Lord, even greater than that, the truths that you give would penetrate our hearts. God, we want to be men and women who grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. We want to be men and women who have fruitful effective lives in you. So, Lord, do your work in us here today, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, to just kind of catch us up, remember that Jesus has uh, done the triumphal entry. He's come in. He's cleansed the temple. And then when we left off last time, he was having a conversation, right? Well, more of a, more of a, he was teaching them and, and he spoke the parables and we went over the three different parables that he gave to them after they asked him, who do you think you are, right? Who gave you this authority and who are you? So he gave these parables. Now we're still in the midst of that. So he still get this, get, you know, kind of use your imagination a little bit. You're in that temple area. You've got the Pharisees all around you. You have multitudes around you. You got the 12 with you and you're doing all of this interacting. And listen, as Jesus gave this parable, it kind of hit home for them. If you remember after the one, they sought a way to kill him, but they couldn't do it because they were afraid of the people. And then he gave them a couple more, which kind of combined bounded that and now listen now it all changes and they're going to start asking him some questions and I love this part because here's what I think I think man you guys have been around enough you should know you just don't ask Jesus questions trying to trap him trying to trick him like ha ha we're going to get you and it is so not going to work because they're going to get got as they ask the questions so again, he left off with that last parable he gave him about the wedding feast. And then it tells us, listen, in verse 15, then the Pharisees, the Pharisees went and plotted how they might entangle him 
in his talk. So now you kind of get this picture, like you, you have this crew together, you got the multitudes there, you got Jesus, I don't know, the, I think the 12 are close by him. And then you have the, the Pharisees, they go into this holy huddle, right? And they get together in their holy huddle and they're going, how can we get him? I don't know, man, it's hard. It's hard to trick him. Wow, well, I don't know. Hey, I know. I know, I got an idea. Let's get the Herodians to help us and let's go after him in this whole issue of taxation because I don't think he can handle that. Good idea. So that was what happened. So just so you know what happened there, right? So verse 16, and they sent to him their disciples. Now here's what I love. They didn't go. They sent their disciples. Here's what I'm thinking. They knew that this was not gonna work. So they go, hey, you young'uns. Go out there. Go on out there, and you guys, you know, and then, and then look who they went with. They went with the Herodians. Now, as we've been studying Matthew, we've been studying Matthew for a while now. As we've been studying Matthew, and a while ago, we talked about the different sects, right? The Pharisees were the very, very strict, very conservative, you know, very legalistic uh, uh, part of, of Judaism. Then the Sadducees were the more liberal, easygoing, you know, they kind of they, they kind of took things and we'll explain them a little bit more, but we've explained them in the past. And then also in the past, we talked about the zealots. They were really, listen, man, the zealots were all about trying to get Israel or trying to get Rome out of Israel and take care of that. And then you had the Essenes and John the Baptist, many say might have been part of that. The Essenes were a sect that were out by the Dead Sea in, in Qumran and they were, they were real separatists. So you have all these groups. And then today we're introduced to the Herodians. The Herodians were the part of Judaism that you might guess because of their name, they were the ones that more followed after Herod. They were kind of all about Herod. So they were pro, listen, they were pro-Rome, pro-Herod, and here's what's fascinating. They join up with the Pharisees who are very anti-Rome, anti-Herod, very conservative, and they join forces. As a matter of fact, they hated each other. Isn't it interesting how people will come together who despise each other trying to stomp out good? That blows my mind. So these two, these two come together, and again, I'm thinking, man, how did, they even, how did they even walk up to Jesus together because of the way they felt about each other, right? So they go up, they go up, and listen to what they say. It tells us in the middle of verse 16, the disciples uh, the, of the Pharisees and the Herodians came saying, teacher, we know, now that's a lie right there. That's the first lie they do, and the rest of it's all false, right? Teacher, we know that you are true and teach the way of God in truth, nor do you care about anyone, for you do not regard the person of men. Now listen, all of that's true about Jesus, but they didn't believe it, because if they believed it, they would respect him. But they came in with flattering lips. Always be careful when people flatter you. Right, I, I tell, listen, if, if, when I get a chance, especially speaking to younger pastors, I always tell them, man, if somebody comes up flattering you, duck. <laughs> Just beware, because it's gonna come. It's gonna come, and you have to watch out. Now, listen, obviously, this is so, hey, what they say is true, but it's so hokey coming from them. You're going, seriously? I'm, I'm surprised Jesus didn't go, seriously? Seriously, you guys are saying that about me. Well, he kind of does. So listen, and then they ask him the question, verse 17. Tell us, therefore, what do you think? Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? That's a question for the 21st century, huh? Is it lawful to pay taxes? Now, 
some of your translations have a better, they weren't asking about taxes in general. They asked about a specific tax. You have to understand Judaism and any place that Rome ruled, taxes were heavy, heavy, heavy. That's why they could do all the things they could do. Hey, countries that can do a whole bunch for their citizens, guess what? They gotta take money from their citizens to get that done. Have you figured that out yet? That's the way it works. Governments do not make money, they take money. So listen, man, they're taxing. In, in, at that time, in Israel, and I, again, wherever Rome ruled, they would tax them on their property. We're kind of used to that, right? They would tax them on their income. We're kind of used to that. But then they would also tax them on their, their, their product. Whatever they had, they would tax them. If you've been in small business, you're kind of used to that. But, but it was a little crazy. Now, now, here's where it gets a little bit crazier. They would tax them on how many wheels they had on their carts. So that would make you like want to use a wheelbarrow, Right? Like you don't want a four-wheel cart because they tax you per wheel. So, hey, let's wheelbarrow it around. Or better yet, let's just carry it around and get rid of the wheels, right? So they tax them on that. And then this tax, this tax was called the poll tax. The poll tax was this. It was a tax simply for living. It's a crazy tax, right? Hey, you're breathing, you're gonna get taxed. Now, they wouldn't start it. For guys, they would start it around, I think for guys, it was like 18, and then you paid tax till you were 65. And for women, you started at 14 because women mature quicker than guys, right? So the girls would start at 14 and both go to 65. So, so you would pay this. This was just simply, we could call it this, an existence tax. Now, you think our country's crazy, huh? That's nuts, right? You're breathing, so you owe us this tax. So here's what they say. They say, hey, Jesus, what do you think of this poll tax? Now, they think they got him trapped, right? Because here's the thing. If he comes against the tax, Rome will come against him and the government. But if he's pro-tax, the people are going to hate him. So they think, yes, we got him. So Jesus, look, verse 18, Jesus perceived their wickedness and said, why do you test me, you hypocrites? So he kind of did see through the flattery, right? You might do that the next time somebody flatters you. You might just say, why are you saying that, you hypocrite? See how, see how it goes from there and kind of see how the conversation goes. So listen, and, hey, and what, I love Jesus being kind of confrontational because so many people act like Jesus like never got confrontational. Everything was nice and smooth. He was just this, this guy that took everything and never stood up to anything. Hey, he just, called, he just called a group of people asking him a question, a bunch of hypocrites. He goes, what's up with you hypocrites? And then, then here's what I love, verse 19. Show me the tax money. So they brought him a denarius. Have you ever noticed through the Bible Jesus never had any money? He never had change, right? He always had to, he always either had to borrow it or get it out of a fish or, you know, kind of do something. He, he like never, it's like, dude, you need to get a wallet. You carry around a little money for, because you've got things you got to do, right? So he says, hey, hey, show me, show me the tax money. And so they give it to him, it's a denarius. And then he said to them in verse 20, he says, whose image and inscription is this? Now don't read on yet. Because here's what I'm thinking. You're that group of guys. You just, listen, you just brought this question where, where you think you got him trapped. And now he holds up a coin and he says, hey, whose inscription and image is on this? What was the major no-no 
in Israel, making an image. I think they're thinking, oh man, he is gonna blast Caesar for putting his image on this coin and he's gonna blow it so bad they're gonna come against him. Now, I, I think that's where they're, you get, don't read ahead. Let's think that's where their minds are going, right? That's what they're thinking about is they're looking at him and they think, man, now we really got him because he's gonna step in it, right? He's gonna make a mess and, and it's gonna be that. So listen, man, he says that and they said to him, hey, it's Caesar's. And they're going, yes, we got him. He's gonna blast them. And then Jesus says this, and he said to them, render therefore to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. Oh, wow. Like they did not see that coming at all. They couldn't even imagine, they couldn't even, I don't think they could have even imagined that answer. And Jesus is letting them know something in the first century, and he's letting us know something in the 21st century. Don't get so freaked out about what your government's doing. And especially don't get freaked out about taxes. Why? It's their money. Don't worry about it. Hey, if you become a little more casual about it, you'll have a lot less stress in your life. You'll go through life a lot easier, and hey, you won't be fighting all of these battles. But even greater than that, when Jesus uses that word render, he's using it in such a way, and that word is in the original language, in such a way that you give them to them because you owe it to them. Oh, that's a huge difference, isn't it? Now some of us are going, do you know how corrupt our government is? Do you know how corrupt their government was? Hey, the government of Rome at that time makes our government look like amateurs at being corrupt. So Jesus didn't call out the corruption of the government. Here's what he said. Hey, it's their money. Give them their money. You owe it to them. You need to do that, and you need to quit trying to ditch it. You need to quit trying to, you know, make excuses about it. And I think the same thing today, man. I have people come to me sometimes. I don't want to pay taxes. I don't like what they're doing with my money. It's not your money. Oh. And don't get so uptight about it. Again, Rome was doing a lot more corrupt things than our government's doing. And, and so, you know, we do that. For homework, read Romans chapter 13, 1 Timothy chapter 2, and 1 Peter chapter 2 about how we're to obey the government and the things we're supposed to do. Because Jesus starts that teaching right here. Render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's. Now, that's important for us to understand. The second part is just as important. Listen what he says. And to God, the things that are God's. Now, he holds up the coin and he says, whose image is on this coin? Caesar's. And then he's telling him in this second part, look in a mirror. Whose image is on you? God's. Right? We're made in the image of God. Hey, you and I owe everything we are to God. And he says, you, you, your, your, your being, who you are, you owe that to God. And he's going to get a little bit more personal about it towards the end of this. So he lays that out. Now, I think the disciples are going, man, that was powerful. Even though they were paying taxes, they're thinking, man, if I begin to live life that way, hey, I live in the United States of America. I owe our government certain things because I live here. And it's my privilege to live here. And if I don't like it, I can go someplace else. I don't know if I'll find a better place. Personally, I don't think there's a better place. So I owe it to the government. But along those same lines, I owe God myself. 
I owe God who I am. Now, there are times where there's conflict, and I get that, but we're not talking. Most of us, most of us never run into the conflict. Most of us, if we're really honest, we don't want to pay taxes because we want the money, not because we're on some moral high ground and not because we're trying to be, you know, these super spiritual people. We're greedy, and we want the money. So, you know, kind of take that home. So Jesus says, hey, here's how it is. Now, look at these guys. We'll get back to rendering to God what is God's towards the end of the study. And then he says, listen, when they heard these words, they marveled and they left him and they went their way. So these guys all leave kind of scratching their heads, right? They're going, wow, that didn't work. That didn't work at all. Now, again, you have all of these people. So these guys are like walking away and they're thinking, man, we thought we had him. We didn't have him. And then along comes this group, verse 23, the same day the Sadducees who say there is no resurrection came to him and asked him. Now you have that group. Remember, as I said, they're the liberal arm of the church, not talking politically. You know, it's interesting. I'll use that term and people will go out. Don't you like liberal politicians? And I'm going, I'm not talking politically. I'm not talking politics i'm talking theology these guys these guys didn't believe in angels they didn't believe in resurrection they didn't believe in spirits these guys as a matter of fact you know they got so far where they only really accepted the first five books of the bible the pentateuch and they would accept those and then they believed all the other books were kind of a commentary but the first five books is what they what they stood on and they didn't believe in a resurrection them and the pharisees would have would have these long debates over the resurrection Re- read the book of acts for homework and find out when Paul comes into that whole dilemma and he raises that whole question up to split the group up. Now, the sad thing was the, fair, the, the, the Sadducees were more in charge than anybody. These guys were, were kind of had the, you know, the high priest thing sewed up because by then it had become very political and they had all of that sewed up. So they, they had more power than the Pharisees, uh, politically speaking, and within the government, But the Pharisees were the ones who were, as I said, conservative. So they would have these long debates. Now, here was the problem in the debate. If you debate somebody, and you you find that today. Hey, sometimes if you debate somebody about spiritual things, you gotta find out, what do you believe? Can we, if we debate, will you take what I say from the Bible as truth? Well, if they say no, then you can't debate them. I can't, because they get my truth from scripture. So these guys would always go back, hey, you can only use the first five books of the Bible. Try and prove the resurrection from the first five books of the Bible. Kind of difficult. So they didn't believe in it. So they come to Jesus, and this is what's crazy. They don't believe in a resurrection, verse 24. So they asked him, saying, Teacher, Moses said that if a man dies having no children, his brother shall marry his wife and raise up offspring for his brother. Now there were with us seven brothers. The first died after he had married and having no offspring, he left his wife to his brother. By the way, that's Deuteronomy 25 that, that talks about this. And, and you know, if, if you ever see it printed, it's called the, the Leverite or the Leverite uh, 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 law. But it's not about, listen, it's not about the Levites. It's coming from the Latin word uh, le, uh, that means brother-in-law. That's where it comes from. So it's talking about the brother's responsibility to help out his brother. Deuteronomy chapter 25, you can read that for homework. I'll, I'll throw it up there and you can look at it. So listen, now there was seven brothers. The first died after he had married and having no offspring, he left his wife to the, his brother. Likewise, the second also and the third 
even down to, even to the seventh. Last of all, the woman dies. Therefore, in the resurrection, whose wife of the seven will she be? For they all had her. Seriously? Like, this is such a bogus story. You know, you're, you're, don't you read this and go, this is, this is like nuts. Nobody does that. Nobody. Like, she's, you know, she's still marrying after the fourth one. Black widow, right? <laughs> Not a good idea to marry this lady. And hey, if you're familiar, you know, even a Leverite marriage was, the Leverite marriage was part of Judaism even before the law. Remember Judah, the son, and he had a son? And remember that whole story? And his son died, and then he told his other son to marry. So, hey, that was part of their culture. That was part of them. Only these guys elongate it, and here's the whole thing, man. They're making something up, and they make it so bizarro. You're going, why, why don't you, like, make it normal? Why are you so out there that it's absolutely something impossible? Here's what they're doing. They're mocking the resurrection. That's what they're doing. Have you ever noticed when you discuss something spiritual, if people aren't going to beat you in a debate, they mock it? They make fun of it? And they're just mocking the whole idea of the resurrection. They're going, listen how stupid the resurrection sounds when you got this story going on. And again, Jesus, I think, should have said, well, listen what he says. It's, it's better than my comeback. <laughs> Verse 29. So Jesus answered and, and said to them, you are mistaken, not knowing the scriptures or the power of God. I kind of like that. He goes, you know what? You guys are really stupid. Sorry I use that word. He goes, you guys are really stupid. You don't know the Bible, and you don't know the power of God. I kind of like that, right? He says, because what you're asking is dumb. So first of all, he talks about the power of God. Listen, you don't know the power of God, verse 30. For in the resurrection, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels of God in heaven. So here's what he's letting us know. Listen carefully. This life does not just transfer into the next life. Even as strong believers, even as born-again believers, I think sometimes we have the idea we're just going to carry on the same life into the next life. Do you know what's going to change? It's going to change radically. And here's what Jesus says. There's a huge, huge change from this life to the next life. And you guys don't understand the power of God. God doesn't just, listen, he doesn't just continue our life. He changes us. He makes us new. He makes us different. And when he says, listen, we're going to be like the angels, he's talking about, he's talking about our sexuality in this specific, specific instance. Listen carefully. We're not going to become angels. Oh, I get so irritated when I hear someone say, oh, so-and-so got their wings. Oh, they did not get their wings. You don't get a wing, you don't get a halo, you don't get a harp. Some of you are going, seriously? The guy was counting on those things. When you die, listen carefully, you don't become an angel. Angels are created beings that God created. And he created a certain number of angels, and angels don't procreate. They're not part of that. They're, hey, they don't do that. There was this number, and that's it. Angels don't die either. That's kind of interesting. But listen, he's saying, when you go there, that's how you're going to be. It's not about procreation. You're not going to need to procreate because there's no death. And he says, so you're not going to do that. Now, some people come away from this going, you mean we're not even going to know our spouse in heaven? Well, duh. 
I think you're going to know your spouse in heaven. Hopefully, hopefully you're not going to look and say, where did you come from? <laughs> hopefully you're expecting your spouse to be there with you, right? And you're going to know, you're going to know your spouse. Are you still going to, absolutely you're still going to love. All of that stuff doesn't just go away, but you're not going to have that sexual part of your relationship, nor you need to understand this too. You're going to love everybody because you're in heaven. So there's a change. So Jesus says, you don't know the power of God that he's going to change us, and you don't know the scriptures. Now this part I love, verse 31. But concerning the resurrection of the dead, have you not read, don't you love Jesus saying that? You guys read your Bibles, right? Have you not read what was spoken to you by God saying, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. Here's what Jesus quotes. He quotes Exodus chapter three. Why? Why does he quote Exodus chapter three? Because they only believe in the first five books. Jesus knows them. And he goes, hey guys, here's what you need to know. And here's what Jesus said in Exodus chapter three. I am the God of Abraham, the God of Jacob, and the God of Isaac, or Isaac and then Jacob. Exodus chapter three, when that was spoken, those guys had been dead for a couple hundred years. They're way dead. And notice what he says. He's not the God of the dead, but of the living. He said, I am, not I was the God. I am the God telling them that they're still alive. They're still part of that. And they need to understand that. Now, that's Jesus using that for the proof of the resurrection. That God, God himself says right now in Exodus chapter three, right now for them, right now, I am the God of Abraham who's been dead for hundreds of years, but I am his God. Why? Because he's still alive. And I kind of love this too for those who, for, for soul sleep people. Maybe some of you are in that soul sleep camp. He doesn't say that he's the God of the, of the sleepers. He's the God of the living, not those who are asleep. Hey, when we die, we go right into the presence of God. Our last breath here is our first breath in heaven. And we need to understand that and know that. So here's what, here's what Jesus said. You guys just don't, you don't, you don't know the power of God because he's gonna change us. We're not gonna have, this life doesn't just carry on. And you don't know the scriptures because here's what God said, verse 33, and when the multitude heard this, they were astonished at his teaching. Now notice it wasn't the Sadducees, but the multitude. Now you have the multitude, and I kind of get a, collect, a collective gasp, right? And they're all going, whoa! And the Sadducees are going, we just really got put down. Now verse 34 says, but when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. Man, these Pharisees are all, all about getting in little holy huddles, aren't they? So now they go, man, he's something. And notice they didn't respond much when they got put down. But they're going, huh, those Sadducees, flunkies, dorks. And they come together and they go, well, I know we're going to get them. We got, we got even a better question than a tax question. So they're gotten in their little holy huddle. Then verse 35 says, then one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question. Now, you need to understand something. A lawyer in that culture is not the same as a lawyer in our culture. Because, you know, some people read that and they go, that figures. A lawyer's involved. So it's not, not the same, just so, just so you know. Hey, a lawyer in that culture was somebody who was an expert on the law of God, not a lawyer in the law and civil law. They were, they were one of the ones who probably had the whole Bible memorized. 
at the time, the whole Old Testament. So just so you know that. So this lawyer came asking him a question, verse 36. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? Now, I, I kind of like this because, listen, he comes up with this idea, and he's wanting to know, hey, which is, which is the great commandment? Here was the problem with Judaism, and it's still a problem today. There's 613 laws. How do you keep track of 613? That's just nuts, right? I mean, that's a lot of stuff to keep track of that you don't want to break. So the Pharisees, and, and most of us know this, they wrote volumes, and here's the problem, though. They did write volumes on those 613, so not only do you have 613 laws, now you've got volumes that you've got to read about them, trying to explain them. But even at 613, they, they would have these debates. Which, one, which ones are the most important? And now there's 613. They broke it down. This is kind of interesting. There's 248 positive laws, and, and some say the, the, the Jew, Jewish scholars or the Jewish uh, mystics really say there's one for every part of the human body. So 248 positive ones, and then 365 negative ones, and they're saying this is one for every day of the week. And I'm thinking, no, they didn't have 365 days, year days back then. They only had 360. So, but, but that's how they would break them down. You have positive laws and negative laws. Then out of those, then they would have these discussions, and out of those they would go, okay, now let's divide them up because it's too many to keep track of. It's just too hard. So now here's what we can do. We can have the heavy laws, like the, the big laws, and then we can have the light laws. That's kind of interesting, huh? Makes life a little easier. Uh, you break a light law, who cares? It's a light law. Just, just go on about your business. So they would do that. You know, the, the Catholic Church kind of picked up on that. And they have mortal sins and venial sins if you, if you were ever raised Catholic and you had to kind of keep track that way. So he lays them out. Listen, they would lay them out that way. And so now they're asking Jesus, which is the heaviest of the heavy laws? Kind of is the way I interpret this. Tell us which is the great commandment. What is the one thing we should do? And I love, listen, I love Jesus. He just goes right to it, man. I don't think he hesitated. Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Listen, Jesus goes right to that and lets him know, hey, here's what you do. It's about a relationship with God. And it's about loving God. According to James chapter two, if you keep all of the law, James tells us, and then you stumble at one point, even the light ones, you've broken the whole law. So Jesus is saying, we don't need to divide it up and we don't need to do all this. I kind of love it. He goes, I can sum it up. I can sum it up with one for you if you really want me to. He says, hey, it's a real easy one. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, and all of your mind. And he's, he's quoting, listen, he's quoting Deuteronomy uh, chapter 6. I thought I had it down here, but I can't find it. So he's doing the Shema, they call it. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one God, and you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your mind. And in the, in the Old Testament, in Deuteronomy, it says all your strength. Here Jesus changes it to mind, but I think mind and strength kind of go together. And he says, hey, that's what you do, and that's what you're supposed to do. You love God with every every fiber of your being. That's a huge commandment. I don't, think, I don't think we should sit here this morning and go, hey, that's no problem. You know, I can do that. Seriously? To me, that's huge. And I think we fail at that. 
And he sums it up with that. So that's one. And then he tells us, verse 38, or I'm sorry, verse 39, and the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Wow. Now he quotes Leviticus chapter 19. So Deuteronomy 6, oh, by the way, Deuteronomy 6 was the law that they would, that they would put in their, in, their, in their phylacteries. If you know anything about Israel, when you go to Israel, it's interesting. The guys, when they start to pray, they put these little leather boxes on their head. Looks, a little, looks like they got a GoPro camera on. You know, it's what I always think of. I'm thinking, why, are these guys, why is everybody wearing GoPros? But they have, they have a, a little box, and then they tie one on their hand. And it's out of Deuteronomy chapter 6. Here's what Deuteronomy chapter 6 says. It says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your strength. Or I'm sorry, all your soul, all your strength. And then it says, listen, and then it says, you shall take these laws and bind them on your hand or on your arm and, and, and let them be frontlets to your eyes. Now listen, God wasn't saying you make little leather boxes and you tie them on your hand. Here's what he's saying. Let them govern your hand and let them govern your eyes. Let these be the things. And then he says, you write them on the doorpost, right? You talk to your children with them when you stand up, when you sit down, when you're going out, when you're coming in. Here's what God says. You raise your kids in the, in the Lord, right? And he's telling them to do that and he says, write them on their doorposts. If you go to Israel today, and even some Jewish homes here and even some people who have been to Israel that live here, you have the mezuzah and it's on the doorpost when you go on, on the doorframe. Every hotel has it on the doorframe. Every door you go in has a mezuzah and it has this Deuteronomy 6.4 in there. Now on the phylacteries, they have, they have a few more. Here's the other verses that they put in there, their phylacteries to remind them what they're doing. Jesus sums it all up in this. He goes, hey guys, it's real easy. You just love God with everything, every fiber of your being, everything you are. What did he tell the, the tax guys? Give to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. What do we owe God? We owe him everything. We owe him our devotion, our love, and hey, in love is implied obedience. That's what we do. And he says, listen, you do that. And then he says, listen, the second, you gotta love your neighbor as yourself. Now, Jesus is not saying you gotta fall in love with yourself to love your neighbor. We love ourselves. The issue is not loving ourselves. The issue is loving our neighbor. Now, here's what I know. You can't love your neighbor unless you love God. You see, it's gotta start with God. And you gotta get that relationship with God and you need to be filled with God's spirit to truly, because loving your neighbor doesn't mean you're nice to people who you like and you know you do that. Loving your neighbor means anybody and you care about people and you do that. So he lays those commandments out and tells them, here's what you're to do. And then verse 40, on these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Here you go, guys. I took the 613 and I didn't even go down to 10. I went down to two. So for you and I, those are the two we need to keep. When people tell me, do you keep the Ten Commandments? No. Have you memorized the Ten Commandments? No. What kind of Christian are you? The one that's born again, that's what kind. And I'm told, these are the two. These are two. Everything is summed up in these two. Now, Jesus, I love this, verse 41. When the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them, so Jesus goes, all right, enough. My turn. You've given me three questions. I, ju I just want to ask you guys one question. I love this. Hey, I got a question for you. He says, what do you think? He says, got the Pharisees together. Hey, what do you guys think saying? What do you think about the Christ? 
Whose son is he? So here's Jesus going, hey, hey, now here, Jesus isn't saying, who do you think, who do people say that I am or who do you think I am? Remember, we went through that at Caesarea Philippi. This is not it. Here's what he's saying. Who is the Christ? Biblically, who is the Christ? Hey, who do you guys, who do you guys, what do you guys think? Now, here's what I'm thinking. The Pharisees are going, dude, this is like, this is like kindergarten. This is like theology, you know, first grade, little guys. This is simple. This is so easy. Why would he ask us this? I think they're kind of laughing, and I think they kind of laughingly said, well, that's easy. He's the son of David. And Jesus goes, okay. Because he knew that's what they were going to say, right? So Jesus, then he said to them, I love this part. How then does David in the spirit call him Lord, saying, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. So, so Jesus is saying, guys, hey, how does this come up? How does, how does David by the spirit say this? Now, here's what you need to know. Here's a couple, I think, really good, good insights for us to remember. Number one, he's quoting Psalm 110. Jesus just told us who wrote Psalm 110, did he not? David. Do you know there's critics? There's books about who wrote Psalm 110. And I'm thinking, duh. Like, read your Bible. It tells us. Jesus tells us that David wrote Psalm 110. Then he also tells us how we get the inspired word. The inspired word comes through a man by God's spirit. He said it by the spirit. He didn't say David said it. David said it by the Spirit. So the Spirit was in David, the Spirit guided David, he was led by the Spirit, and he said this, so here's what it tells me. Scripture is Spirit-inspired, and God used men, simple guys, and they wrote Scripture, so that's great, and then, and then he does this thing. And you guys, you guys need to work on your principles of interpretation. He was telling them that, I'm not telling you that. He's telling the Pharisees, you need to work on your principles of interpretation because here's the whole thing. He says then, he says, how come, how come David said this? The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Now, how many times, maybe you've read that, how many times did they read that and it never, it never clicked? It never clicked to them that the Lord said to David's Lord, wait, wait, David's Lord. So Yahweh said to David's Lord, who's David's Lord? The Messiah. They're, they're thinking, dude, it's the Messiah. Well, then Jesus asked them this, verse 45. If David calls him Lord, how is he his son? Oh, little dilemma going on, right? Now, we have hindsight. Hopefully, you understand how he can be David's son and still be Lord. It's because he's 100% man, 100% human, 100% God. And so he can be both of those. Hey, he came out of the lineage of David according to Mary, but he's also Lord because he's God. And so it's not a problem for us. That created a major problem for them. Look at their response. By the way, for homework, read, read Revelation 22. In Revelation 22, it says this. It says he is talking about Jesus and the Messiah. He's the root and the offspring of David. So kind of a, another interesting dilemma, right? So, so Jesus lays that out there, verse 46, and no one was able to answer him a word, nor from that day on did anyone dare ask him or question him anymore. <laughs> Done. Now it's gonna get 
Now it's gonna get kind of hairy. Chapters 23, 24 have a lot of stuff for us to cover and look at. But you and I, I hope you go away from here today loving Jesus more, especially after his interaction. And I hope you kind of go away from here today understanding this. Every one of us, according to Peter, every one of us is to give an account for the hope that's within us. That's what Peter tells us. Be ready, be ready always to give an account for the hope that's within you to every person who asks you. And then he says, but you need to do this in love and respect. You You can't win someone over if you're a jerk for Jesus. So if you get anxious and stuff, if you feel yourself getting anxious, just shut down. Just say, you know what? This is not going well for me, so I need to shut down. Don't be, well, I might lose the argument. Well, good because I don't think you're gonna ruin an individual. But notice Jesus just handles this so casually. Hey, what about taxes? Not a problem about taxes, show me a coin. What about the resurrection? Well, that one he got a little, I think he got a little personal. You guys are just stupid because you said a stupid story and you don't even know the scriptures or the thing. So maybe that one a little bit. And then, hey, which is the greatest commandment? That's the easiest one of all, man. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. Second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. Now let me ask you a question, the Christ. Who is he? And only, hey, can you answer that? That's up to us to answer. And we have the theological stuff here, but who is he? You see, our world has Jesus so messed up. And as Christians, sometimes we we listen to that, and I'm gonna call it garbage, and we listen to that garbage, and we don't filter it through the filter of scripture, and we get messed up. Get in the word of God and you will find out who he is. Let's stand up and pray. Father, as we do get ready to leave here today and we think about what we've read and we think about this interaction with you and and this group on that that up by the temple that day and how incredible. I'm thinking of the the disciples watching this and, and their minds had to be blown. And every time I read through it, it blows me away. That we can answer people with simple truths that come from your word, and they're sufficient. Oftentimes, well, I would say every time, scripture is given, and people have to respond to it in their heart. They're not always positive, but they have to respond. So I pray that you'd make us those apologists, so to speak, that we would answer, Lord, we would answer with your word, and we would allow your word to do the work in the hearts of the people that we come in contact with. And I pray we go away from here today loving you more, maybe understanding a little bit more about you with our mind, because I believe if we strengthen our mind that it strengthens all of us. So God, draw us to you with our heart, with our emotion, with our soul, with our intellect, so that we can love you with all of that. And that we can be those neighbors to one another. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. As you remain in that attitude of prayer for just a little bit more, I want to give an invitation. If you're here today 
and you do not know Jesus, I wanna give you an opportunity to call on his name, to say yes. Listen carefully, Jesus Christ died for your sins. He took your place on the cross. Not that all of us were gonna die on a cross, but your, your sin, the wages you earned is death. And he took that for you. Not the physical so much as the spiritual. And now today he offers you this, this receipt that says paid in full and all you have to do is take it and receive that from him. He's giving you a gift. So if you wanna receive that gift of salvation, that gift of what we call eternal life, the fact that your sins are forgiven and you can, you can be with God all through eternity, then say this prayer with me. It's gonna be a simple prayer where you're gonna admit you're a sinner. You're gonna tell God you're sorry for your sins and you're gonna ask him to come into your life. And if you wanna do that, you can say it. Maybe you're backslidden. Hey, come back to Jesus and say this prayer with us. If you're watching online, you can say it right where you're at. You don't have to be in this building. Say this prayer with us. God will hear you. You can do it out loud or silently. Jesus, today, I confess to you that I am a sinner. And I'm sorry that I sinned against you. And right now I'm asking you to forgive me. Jesus, thank you for dying for me. Thank you today for your forgiveness. And now, I want you to come into my heart and change me. Jesus, come into my life and guide me. Today, I want you to be my Lord and my Savior. If that's the cry of your heart and you said that prayer or something like it, I'm gonna ask you to put your hand up in the air. Put it high up in the air so we can pray for you and celebrate with you. Anyone in here today? Father, I pray that as we get ready to go out those doors, God, that, that we would go out celebrating our God, that we would be men and women prepared to give that answer to anyone who asks us for the hope that's within us, that we would be men and women who carry around with us that fragrance of Christ wherever we go, and we would influence our neighbors, our homes, our workplaces, our our, our, our marketplaces and that you would be glorified in our lives and again we ask this in Jesus name Amen hey.